Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Imagine living in a world where education is a crime. This is Colleen Shaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs talking with Orzalo Ashraf Namat. Ms. Namat lived in such a world in Afghanistan under the Taliban, where she risked her own life to bring underground health and education programs to women and girls. She's currently a World Fellow at Yale University. So the obvious first question is why? Why was it worth the risk to do these things? Well, because um, contrary to the general perception that education is a crime in the country, I have to say that uh, I myself come from a uh, from an f- educated family, mm-hmm. and uh, there are majority of the Afghan population who believe in education and empowerment of their children, girls and boys. Uh, and uh, why? Simply because of the motivations or uh, commitment that I was brought up with. Uh, in other words, my family, my parents always encouraged me to learn mm-hmm. in this way to serve others. So as soon as I was in the position that I could at least transfer my very basic knowledge of high school, uh, helping others to r- learn how to read and write, I was ready to take any risk to do it, especially because it was forbidden by the government mm-hmm. or the then regime of Taliban uh, for education, uh, for girls to get education. So when it was forbidden, I thought that's the time to make a change. If it's not forbidden, then people have their own choices whether to study or not. Mm-hmm. But the restrictions work in a contrary way, empowered me more to really go to the front Motivated. and say, okay, I am going to fight this war mm-hmm. through education. Now tell me a little bit sort of logistically about how the classes worked. You went to people's homes? Well, basically, uh, I lived as a refugee at that time in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And I had the, the, the first time I traveled to Afghanistan after 10 years was 1998. And I visited uh, my family and different relatives and old friends from the from the 10 years ago when I left. And mm-hmm. it was really amazing to see uh, the people still were lively and they had their activities and everything. But uh, the major concern that in each and every lunch or dinner that we were invited to as people coming, as guests coming from mm-hmm. Pakistan, was uh, in fact uh, regarding the education. And everyone expressed deep concerns that what is going to happen to the future of their daughters? What's going to happen uh, to, to their children without education? So coming back from uh, from uh, that short visit in 98, I, I, I kept uh, having this idea that I have to do something, especially when I witnessed a cousin of mine being beaten publicly by Taliban only because she had a book in her bag. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, you're going to a school or something. Mm-hmm. So that was like a, mm, like point, a turning point for me that I said, well, these people don't want us to educate ourselves, so we have to do something. The way logistically it worked was basically to get in touch with uh, friends, uh, friends uh, of uh, other friends Mm -hmm. uh, who were uh, previously used to teach in the schools. And so we tried to communicate with them and explain to them the idea we had of establishing a network Mm -hmm. and says, well, if you give us a hand, if you like take the initiative within your communities, bring uh, a number of girls in a, in your street to your house mm-hmm. or to the house of one of the students, then we can uh, supply you with um, books and stationeries, notebooks, pe- pens and pencils, uh, and small um, blackboards, uh, basically. 
And uh, many people, many of those women to whom we spoke, they agreed and they said yes. Some did not. They said, oh, we are scared. It's mm -hmm. very high risk and so on. But many of them, they agreed. And that was the result of the um, success that we, we had. So how do you sneak around with a blackboard? I mean, obviously, all this stuff was contraband at the time, right? Well, it's, it's funny because when we talk about blackboards, these are like huge blackboards that even when I was a child in, in Afghanistan, I had these half-wall black, uh -huh. big black blackboards. But the, the, the blackboards that we were using basically in our classes, they were not really seriously blackboards, mm -hmm. I have to say. Um, they were very light. And basically, uh, we were trying to take a, a small piece of like a, a broken door or window because we were just out of the civil war. So we had enough of broken um, boards uh, mm -hmm. around in each house. So all we were doing was to, to, to buy some ink, uh -huh. which is easy to carry and paint basically those uh, boards and use them as a blackboard. In some of the literacy uh, classes that I remember, they even didn't have those blackboards. Uh -huh. So they would uh, use the, the cupboard and uh, the chalks. Uh, I don't know why, but we usually call the best quality chalks uh, American chalk. Uh -huh. And it was really good because it's easy to clean it uh, back. Uh -huh. So we would so buy the, the chalks evidence. and um, uh, uh, supply the, the families, the, 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 the teachers with those uh, chalks and uh, they were the ones who were helping us. It's so interesting. It's a very hopeful thing. If, if, if families wanted their girls to be educated, that seemed to indicate that they knew the Taliban weren't going to be there forever. Well, uh, absolutely. I think that was uh, the, 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 the fact that encouraged us that it's not going to, uh, uh, to end forever. But uh, even though it, it's not going to end forever, we should not wait for mm -hmm. its end, but we should rather take the opportunities because the, the, the life is like flying. You never, like if you lose an opportunity, you are, right. you lost. And that was the reason, like the, the hope was always there. The enthusiasm uh, among the people was always there. Everyone was very much conscious of the risks and consequences of such acts. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were two things that we were mostly doing. One, we emphasize a lot on involving the communities. I want, I want to say even now, unfortunately, many international and national organizations are not paying a lot of attention to involving uh, communities uh, to such initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, if men and women uh, in communities were not uh, agreed with our initiative, we could not reach anywhere. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. Second was that we, we, we were trying our best not to take a very radical step. Mm -hmm. Like we were not coming out to the media or even out I in the country at that time saying that, you know, we are this champion organization doing this work. We kept very silent. We didn't even mention that we are an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, only once it was discovered and we had a little bit of trouble because I went filming them because I wanted to show to the world that these things exist. It's not that I'm making up. Right. Uh, and some people reported to Taliban and we uh, one of our classes came under attack. But otherwise, uh, I mean, we, we, tried, we were trying that even in, in the worst case scenario when we are arrested in case uh, by the Taliban, what we will try to tell them is to go uh, and even use their own laws and answer them and say, well, you said education is forb forbidden for girls, like girls cannot go to schools. Mm -hmm. We did not establish a schools. These are home-based. You never say that don't go. There is no r such rule as do not go to your neighbor's house. 
and girls were only going to the neighbor's house. So you house. had a I technical mean, argument were, with them, not a philosophical like, one. Yeah, exactly. Well, philosophical, we could not reach anywhere because right. they basically did not ha- have any philosophy. But we were thinking that in, in a very mm, terrible situation, situation if that happens either because there is um, a, num- uh, a level of certain level of corruption so we can use that to bribe and mm-hmm. get released or we will just try to to do our arguments but in the very worst situation if we lose our life if we are punished it's fine it's such an honor to be punished for something like education now all of this was happening under the auspices of humanitarian assistance for women and children of Afghanistan which was an NGO that you founded. Can you talk a little bit about what led up to that startup? Well, um basically the story that I just mentioned was one of the major um about motivations your uh, about my cousin and my travel back to Afghanistan, but I have to say we were a group of uh, uh five uh, women and men mm-hmm. uh who had the same idea. We shared the uh, very similar ideas and the concern that what's going to be next we never knew about the future we never knew uh, the taliban will last that short mm-hmm. that was for us at that time we were thinking that perhaps it will continue for years and years and on the other hand we were trying to um to see if uh, we can fit ourselves within the existing international ngos at that time where mostly ngos working uh mostly NGOs were working on for for general projects not necessarily focusing on girls and espe- mm-hmm. especially on girls education mm-hmm. and then what we found was that we have to perhaps um um create or this initiative or this organization because in one term at least five of us agreed that it has to be an initiative that includes a lot of risks uh generally NGOs and other um international organizations are not prepared to take those risks right. we said we are all afghans this is a national NGO we will take the risk we will go with it and we will see how it works if we find it impossible that's fine but we had huge challenges when when setting setting up the organization i was the founder one of the one out of two people who could communicate with basic english mm-hmm. then Uh, and we had no contact with anyone out in the outside world in the western world or anywhere all we had were some international organizations to whatever whichever i went and visited them they discouraged me in in state of encouraging me i was very young wow. at that time and they said are you crazy you want to put yourself at such a huge risk why go and study go and have a normal life mm-hmm. you know if you want we can help you to get your uh, education done but i say the level of education i have now which is how to read and write that's fine that's the emergency of my country and i want to work the same was the case with my other colleagues all of us believed in this fact and that's how we agreed to set up the organization and uh, turn it to a very successful initiative later on now since the taliban has been ousted how has the status of women changed Well, this is in fact a difficult question I may say because um women uh, were oppressed by Taliban the worst perhaps throughout our history but uh, the Taliban uh, uh groups or regime uh, starting from 94 96 to 2001 were not the o- one and only uh, oppressors of the women mm-hmm. uh, status in our country the 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 the, the um intimidation the humiliation or the uh, um, horrible abuses uh, or the worst abuses against women's rights uh, has happened uh, throughout the 30 years of war starting from 1978 up to even today 
so that's a continuous systematic way of abusing women and underestimating their values, underestimating their roles in the societies. Such a such a uh, difficult uh, task of ensuring women's equal rights with men, or at least ensuring women's easy access to very fundamental and basic mm-hmm. rights, requires a huge uh, commitment, a huge courage, and a huge um, um, attention in terms of having short-term as well as long-term uh, strategies for future. So how has it changed? I would say, to some extent, women's life has changed mostly in the cities, mm-hmm. uh, but in the rural areas, women are living almost in the same conditions. Lack of uh, basic health facilities causes that the fact that we have, uh, we we are the country perhaps on the top of uh, mortality rate uh, by losing uh, a woman in tw- every 29 minutes. Wow. Uh, lack of education, 70% of the population is uneducated or we have 21% educated people, almost a majority of them are men. And um, in the recent um, two years, the security challenges has increased tremendously. And whenever you, you, you listen to, to the news or to the information about Afghanistan that security challenges are increasing, one has to immediately think women and children are the first victims. They are victims of the war and violence by the anti-government. They are also victims of the violence or mistake, so-called mistaken mm-hmm. uh, bombardments um, when it happens to uh, to attack basically the anti-government Taliban uh, bases. Women uh, lack really basic uh, security mm, um, or safety for their lives. This is the case, unfortunately, in cities as well as in uh, rural areas. Which leads me to another question. Um, do you fear a resurgent Taliban? Certainly they're gaining ground in Pakistan. Do you think that they could take over in Ag- Afghanistan again? Well, that's indeed an interesting question. I think uh, the fear is certainly and clearly there. Taliban are basically um, ruling uh, a larger percentage of the, the Afghan territory are, as opposed to 2004-2005, I would say. They certainly re-emerged, but um, I, I see the, the, the new, sort of new, after post-Taliban uh, Taliban re, re-emergence as a totally different group as opposed to the mm-hmm. ones that uh, were uh, ruling the country in 19, between 96 and 2001. In terms of the nature of their cruelty and the atrocities, they are the same people. But at that time, that there was one group, one movement, and they were basically there to, like, um, fight against corruption and mm-hmm. commander uh, warlordism and things like that. But now, basically, there is a, a whole mixture of warlordism, drag lordism, Talibanization, and all of that is working, like, in a very disorganized way. So not only that they are a great threat as a Taliban movement of the time they were ruling, mm-hmm. but they are also a great threat because they, they somehow integrated themselves within the commander uh, ship or the warlordism systems. Uh, they are now um, uh, carrying all kind of uh, attacks uh, against very ordinary civilians who are nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with military issues, nothing to do with foreigners, but they are still... Uh, victims of uh, kidnappings, victims of um, executions and uh, beheadings. A 70-year-old woman was beheaded by Taliban in Uruzgan province last year uh, for the charges of spying for Americans. For God's sake, I mean, a mm-hmm. 70-year-old woman, first of all, in what language is she communicating yes. with the outside world? And why she is 
spying? What about the Taliban themselves? And so some actually some very close allies of the Taliban who were good friends with the with the Americans some years ago. So why they are not getting punished that a 70-year-old woman is getting punished for this? So the challenges are really huge and um, it's a very certain and clear fact that Taliban are basically re-emerging and it's not uh, one group of Taliban to say, well, let's negotiate with them mm-hmm. and things will sort out. Unfortunately, not negotiation uh, is a solution either. Um, it's possible to, to bring them all around the same table because they are following different agendas. Mm-hmm. Their agendas are very different than the ordinary Afghan agendas, which is peace, security and prosperity. They actually keep their their major interest is to keep that place as an open place to carry out terrorist trainings, military trainings, to carry out their plottings of which is next after 9-11, July 7th mm-hmm. or uh, March uh, Madrid uh, explosion. So they, are, they want a free space. And unfortunately, in the past, Afghanistan was that free space. They are struggling mm-hmm. to maintain that space for themselves. Unless they find another place to go, they will stay there, unfortunately. Now, the world, of course, wants Afghanistan bec- to become a much more stable space where that sort of thing can't happen. Does that indicate that the West has or should have an interest in raising the status of women and girls in Afghanistan? Would that be part of the part of the package of long-term security and stability and democratization? Um, I absolutely agree that yes. Uh, if I can answer by what word yes, and with all my strength and power, I can say yes. But uh, now coming back to the to the, the fact that whether really the world as per se wants stability and mm-hmm. prosperity in that part of the world, that part I am not very sure. Because if we define the world only as a Western world, we are talking about different countries with absolutely different interests. Some are interested uh, about the the oil in the northern Afghanistan, Central Asian countries. Mm -hmm. Some are interested in promoting uh, actually um, their own visibility and promoting their own private companies within the West. I have to be I have to be clear that I'm very critical of some private companies that are basically training uh, Afghans who turn to fight against them. Mm-hmm. Blackwater is a great example. I don't know if you've seen YouTube has some of the uh, videos showing uh, a unit in Herat province, which is not very popular for the Taliban uh, to be there. Uh, a group of 20 armed men uh, who have certificates uh, from uh, the American company Blackwater, uh, which shows they have been uh, trained how to use their weapons and so on. They receive everything and now they are turning to fight against the Americans. And not only against the Americans, but against anyone. So when we talk about the world, Mm -hmm. we have to be careful. Yes, the people in America, the people, uh, the ordinary common people around the world, uh, the families of those who are actually fighting uh, on the ground, uh, representing the Western world uh, to, to, to us, all of them really want peace and prosperity. But there are certain elements and groups within this whole system that perhaps it may be in their interest to keep this fire uh, warm and on for a long time. And that's unfortunately the reason that we don't reach anywhere. Right. So we say Taliban are uh, re-emerging themselves. We say they are getting powerful. But by the way, we don't have any um, um, factories to provide, uh, to produce uh, weapons. Mm-hmm. We don't have any uh, car companies to have like the best 
top new model of Toyota 4x4 that Taliban are actually driving. They are not driving donkeys, mm-hmm. by the so way. So where does that come from? Uh, the, where, where, where is the, the money and funding comes from? Is that all from the, uh, this uh, huge amount of drugs that we are producing? So the drugs, how on earth is it possible in a country with prisons of the whole world that they can smuggle drugs out of that country? Where? Is that all Iran is involved in that? Because we don't like Iran in the West. So Mm -hmm. I doubt that uh, to see that uh, that as an easy, uh, easy fact. So as soon as we we come to a consensus with the whole world uh, uh, to ensure that we can really work um, having a peace and prosperous region, I am arguing not only as an Afghan for myself, but as a citizen of this earth, that uh, stability in Afghanistan is in favor of everyone's stability and peace. And instability there means instability in danger for all the world. So that's my argument. I think, I hope those who are not um, finding that in their interest, they have to be aware that maybe their life is quite short because uh, now everyone in the world, we've seen the elections here and the, the enthusiasm that people had. It all talks about something. People want to have to live really safe lives. And they have seen that in the last seven, eight years that with wars, they cannot save lives and they cannot be uh, able to live in a peaceful uh, situation. So I really am hopeful that the future would be different, but it can only be if everyone agrees on the same uh, situation. Now, you've spent the past few months here at Yale as a world fellow talking with other world leaders from all over the globe. How is that going to change your work going forward? Well, I must say um, the the Yale World Fellow Program uh, has been an extraordinary, interesting, and a very special experience for me. Um, I am very pleased of the Yale University for considering me someone who was very much involved in the on the ground, engaged with the with the local people and. Uh, um, not perhaps one of those elites in, in my country in terms of having opportunities to 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 like get higher education and so on. I'm very very pleased uh, for for uh, for the Yale University to consider me for this uh, honorable uh, uh, fellowship program. Uh, and I have to say, um, I am also v- uh, very pleased for the opportunity that I was given throughout the last three months. Uh, for being open and say whatever I wanted to share mm-hmm. with my other fellow fellows from other 17 countries as well as with the Yale community and wherever I wanted to speak. So I'm really grateful and I know words are only words and what's more important is practice. And I am a practitioner. I am planning to return back and continue my work. And uh, the way it's going to change my life is that I'm going to uh, to go back to Afghanistan, not only with further knowledge about the way the common people in America think about things and the importance they give uh, as citizens of this country for understanding the real situation uh, of uh, my country in the troubles uh, that I face, but also uh, with further knowledge and information about other countries that perhaps I would never had the chance Mm -hmm. to to sit together in a class and listen to to their concerns as well. For example, I uh, sit in the same class with uh, uh, a wonderful fellow from uh, Bolivia, 
he's talking about indigenous people and the importance of indigenous people. We don't have that issue of indigenous mm-hmm. people in my country, but we had so many things in common that we can exchange. And this is one of my hopes to to create something around women's rights, to which I'm very much involved, and see how we can exchange experiences and, and bring people from both Bolivia and Afghanistan together and see uh, how we can improve it. The same is with environmental issues and having a fellow, a wonderful fellow, another one from China. Mm-hmm. I never had a chance to sit with someone and listen directly someone uh, speaking uh, from China. Right. And um, not only being from China, but talking about issues around environmental issues. So it, it, it is a tremendously important and successful program. And I'm really honored that I am part of this uh, network. And uh, I'm looking forward to for a day that I can invite the World Fellows of 2008 and also other um, wonderful friends that I have made at Yale University to come and be my guest in my country uh, so that I can also somehow compensate this hospitality that I am receiving here. Thank you. We've been talking with Arzala Ashraf Namat, who's participating in Yale's World Fellows Program for Emerging Leaders Around the Globe. For more information, please visit yale.edu slash worldfellows.